Hey, welcome back to another Ruby Dev Summit interview. Today, I'm talking to Jeremy Evans. Uh, Jeremy is the author of several gems that you may have used or heard of, such as the SQL gem, which is a, a SQL database ORM type library. You've also got Rhoda, which is a web framework built on Rack. And he's the author of Polished Ruby Programming, which we covered on Ruby Rogues. And maybe we'll put a link in the show notes to that. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, he contributes to all kinds of stuff in the Ruby ecosystem. And I'm super excited to get his opinion. Uh, thanks for coming, Jeremy. Thank you very much for having me. All right. I'm going to kick us off with a question I've started every other interview with, and that is, what is the future of Ruby? That's an interesting question. Um, mostly, I see Ruby sort of staying on the same path it is now. I don't see major changes happening in the language. Right. Um, I mean, if you've ever listened to one of Matt's recent uh, keynotes, he always talks about stability. Um, he talks mm -hmm. about change, too. He, he definitely wants Ruby to change and be updated. You don't want to be like static and not changing, but I don't anticipate significant like breaking changes, um, even stuff that's I'd say unlikely to affect most people. Uh, anything backwards incompatible uh, generally gets significant pushback these days. Um, one thing I do see it changing is Ruby continuing to get faster, um, mostly from YJIT. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think a big improvement in uh, 3.2 over 3.1 big improvement in 3.3 over 3.2. I would expect uh, 3.4 to have big improvement as well. Right. Um, I think eventually they're going to get to the point where it's not going to be as improving as fast because obviously they're trying to do all the low end, uh, low hanging fruit first. Right. I still expect another you know release or two to have significant performance improvements um, you know, across the board pretty much for all apps. I mean, I think they're pretty much already there with, Three, three, but I, I would mm -hmm. expect continual improvements for most apps, uh, at least for the next couple of releases while they continue to improve things. Right. So let's back up on some of this. So you talked about stability first um, and continuing on the same course it's on. Um, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, but is there anything in particular that you see that makes you think that or, you know? Well, mostly just when, obviously, Matt, if you ever heard him talk, he uh, he's going to be the, the leader of Ruby, I think, for the next few years, at least. I mean, he has talked a little bit about retirement, but it's probably a few years off. Right. Um, I mean, when I talk about the future of Ruby, I try not to do, like, too far in the future. My right. goal in the future is, like, yeah, five years from now. Like, where where is Ruby going to be five years from now? It's uh, where I'm thinking when you're asking about the future of Ruby. Right. Um, and, again, I... Matt is conservative in terms of the features he accepts. Uh, two set, obviously, there was a lot of breakage, 1.8 to 1.9. Some breakage, right. 2.7 to 3.0, though substantially less than 1.8 to 1.9. And um, I don't anticipate there being significant changes, even as much as 2.7 to 3.0, in the future. I mean, not right. in the next five years, at least. Yep, absolutely. So I, I guess moving on to the other point you made about uh, I was going to say productivity, but it's performance. Um, so, so looking at the performance gains that we've gotten, um, yeah, I think the big one that we've seen in three two to three three has mostly been that YJIT is turned on by default, and so people are seeing some of that magic. Yeah, well, it's not technically on by default. Like, even if Ruby is compiled by default, YJIT will not be enabled by default. Now, one of the oh, big I thought it was. 
Now, one of the big things in 3.3 is that you can turn widget on at runtime. So previously, right. uh, if you were using Ruby, you'd have to specify like dash dash widget or some right. environment variable to have widget turned on. But now you can run Ruby uh, widget enable at runtime, even if, as long as Ruby is built with widget support, right. which almost everyone is going to do if they're on something that widget supports, um, you can turn it on at runtime, which means that web frameworks like Rails uh, and potentially others will make it so it's on. It, it'll be on by default for most Ruby users, even if they're not manually configuring it. Because right. I think Rails 8, the plan is to have widget enabled by default. I don't know yeah, if that, that makes sense. I've used Rails a lot, but uh, you know, at all really <laughs> recently. Um, but I think that's. I think it is the plan. At least for Rails eight it might even already be in Rails seven point one. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if. It, well, usually what happens is is that uh, you'll get some level of adoption, you know, in the current version of Rails, and then yeah, big changes like that will come in the next version. So it'll it might prefer it, but it probably won't require it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, and, and Rails uh, definitely won't require it. It'll only enable it if it's uh, supported because it's only supported right. in 3.3 currently. Right. Rails, I think even Rails 8 is aiming for Rails or Ruby 3.1 support. So it'll be something like if you're on Ruby 3.3 and it supports widget enable, it will enable it for you because I mean, widget is definitely a trade-off, but it's a trade-off most people are going to want to make. I mean, you, you're giving up right. some, some memory for significantly better performance. Mm -hmm. A really low memory system, you might not want to enable it, but I would say the majority of Ruby web applications are going to want to enable it. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, are you seeing the same kind of thing with like Rhoda or some of the other projects that you work on? Yeah, I've, I've tested Widget on my own apps. Um, and in terms of my production apps at work, I haven't turned them on yet because uh, generally, we're very conservative here. Government, right. it's uh, it, we probably won't be using Ruby 3.3 until June, I would guess. Uh, we usually do it after we upgrade operating systems. So the language upgrade sort of comes after an operating system upgrade, um, which we do every six months. So we'll probably won't be using Ruby 3.3 until June. But yeah, certainly when we're using, I plan to have widget enabled. Um, in my testing at home, uh, my personal applications, it's fine. It just it takes more memory, not super, not, not a ton more memory, um, and does give better performance. So there's really not a good reason to disable it unless you're very low on the amount of memory you can use. Right. That makes sense. Um, are there any other things coming in in the future, in you know, in Ruby or in some of the things that you're working on that you're excited about? Uh, I'm certainly so excited about the work I've been doing to eliminate allocations. Um, so a lot of Ruby, people, Ruby users, programmers, even people have been using for Ruby Wild don't aren't aware that Ruby will allocate a significant number of objects internally in cases where you would not expect it to. Um, like mm -hmm. one of the things I worked on just last week um, was allocating, if you just like have a literal array that's very large, that doesn't, that, that's not all static numbers, for example, as right. like method calls and things. Ruby will break it into small blocks to avoid stack overflow. Um, and it can end up generating hundreds of arrays. If, you're, if your literal array is large enough, Ruby will internally generate like hundreds of arrays. Oh, interesting. Add them together. Um, and I've been working on things where that uh, sort of eliminates the unnecessary allocations. Uh, some of that work was in 3.3. Uh, a lot of it work uh, got merged into uh, after 3.3, so it'll be in 3.4. Uh, one of the things I was working on I think is really cool 
is Ruby 3.1 added the ability to have uh, anonymous splats. So like you uh -huh. can do def method name star comma star star, for example. And that's stars for all positional arguments and star stars for all keyword arguments. And this oh, okay. previously wasn't allowed by Ruby. Um, you couldn't do this in a method previously in Ruby. Um, so that syntax was added mostly for easier use uh, in Ruby. You can just, if you don't need to name it, you can just leave it unnamed and you can still use it um, mm -hmm. for calling methods. One of the things this uh, I figured out that this allows us to do is eliminate unnecessary array allocations and, and hash allocations. Because if you have a named method argument, you can access it, you can modify it, you have to allocate a new array for it. But if you have an unnamed argument, there's no way to uh, directly access it. You can only pass it as a splat, either a positional splat or a keyword splat, mm -hmm. or calling another method. Therefore, you can skip allocating the array necessarily. So this can make it so if you have chains where you're like forwarding arguments from one method to another, if you don't need to access the arguments, you can actually skip doing that and save array, multiple arrays in, in method chains. And mm -hmm. I know especially Rails and certainly a lot of other web applications and frameworks uh, tend to like delegate methods to other methods, right. delegate arguments to other methods. If they switch to uh, using anonymous splats instead of name splats in cases where they can, a uh, significant number of allocations can be eliminated. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see where people take that. It, it's something that right now doesn't really improve performance for most applications. Because most people haven't switched to using these anonymous splats, but this gives mm -hmm. a performance reason to do it. So I'm, I'm excited to see what what happens in the future with that. Right. So with with the fewer allocations, we're talking about memory performance, not necessarily say the speed of the application, or does it? Well, no, it, it improves speed. So obviously, less allocations makes it faster, but also makes it less garbage to collect. So a garbage collector right. makes less work to oh, do, okay. and also makes it run faster. So there's a, those are really the two reasons to avoid it. Um, Ruby itself, one of the reasons that Ruby is slow is in a lot of cases you're allocating objects, and just object allocation is not that fast mm. compared to a lot of other, like you're doing an SQL query. Object allocation is minimal compared to that, but mm -hmm. like compared to adding two numbers, it's significantly more involved and makes things slower. One of the fastest, like if you don't know how to optimize your code, like let's say you run a profile on it and nothing seems to be like jumping out at you is what to optimize. Finding ways to reduce allocations can uh, dramatically speed things up um, because huh. it often doesn't show up. Um, I think some profilers might be able to, to take garbage collection time into account, but if they don't specifically target garbage collection, sort of garbage collection sort of spread out over everything, uh, and the only way to optimize it is sort of like to figure out where you're allocating things, sort of reduce the number of allocations. Right. That's the only thing you can do, but it's, it's one of the best things you can do uh, if you're not sure of where to improve something. Um, if you have something that allocates a lot, reducing the allocations is one of the best mm -hmm. ways to optimize it. So is the work you've done in allowing us as, you know, kind of the, I, I don't want to call us like normies or something, but you know, the, the people who aren't deep into the Ruby core code, are, are you working to allow us to do this? Or are you finding places where you can do this, where we'll see the performance gain without actually having to modify the way we write code? Or Correct. The, the idea with the optimization that I've been doing is to the Ruby interpreter or the virtual machine, changing, uh, adding instructions, changing how instru instructions are, are implemented. A lot of changes are in the compiler, changing which instructions are used. 
Um, and the idea is, no, you won't need to modify any of your Ruby code, but Ruby code right. that previously allocated a lot of objects, uh, or at least some objects for like for each method call, be allocating objects, even if you didn't have an object, like you're not, you're not creating array, but Ruby sort of creating right. array internally. So my goal, the thing is you can't, because of the way Ruby works, with like um, splat parameters, keyword splat parameters, mm -hmm. there's no way to completely eliminate these implicit allocations. You can't do it. It's just required by the language. But we can make it, my goal is to make it so that any method call will not allocate more than one array and more than one hash. That's uh, right. So, because previously, I mean, you could call a method and depending on what you're doing, be like five, six objects allocated for no reason. I mean, not no reason, there's reasons it was doing it, but it, just, it wasn't optimized to remove them. So that's a lot of what I've been working on is to remove them. Yeah, and it seems like when I talk to people who say use Go or something like that, that's one of the things that they often tout is, well, you know, I rewrote my app in Go and I could, you know, I reduced my the number of servers I had by like two or something. And so this this is a step toward that where as we, you know, we make it do less garbage collection, we spend less time doing the allocations and we spend less memory overall doing this stuff and causing the garbage collection to have to happen more frequently we we may be able to consolidate our hardware usage or at least make it more performant that way as well right yeah i mean certainly go, go is always going to be faster compile yeah. is going to be faster than ruby but the really question is um you know straight off ruby generally is going to be more productive than those languages yes um, some people may not think that some people don't some people are like really relying on static types um I've heard some people's feelings saying that, but yeah, yes. the Ruby has like static typing support, but I haven't used it. I can tell you whether it's good or not. It's certainly not going to be as good as like a language that's built on static types like Go or you know even Java. Um, but in general, people think Ruby is a very productive language, and I think I think it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the trade-offs you make is that performance is not going to be as good. Um, so again, it depends on what you're trying to optimize for. Are you trying to optimize for developer productivity? Or you trying to optimize for runtime performance? Um, right. I think Ruby, uh, it's obviously runtime performance is, no, we try to make it better as we're working on Ruby. We right. try to make it as fast as we can, but it's it's never going to be as fast as like C or Rust or right. Go even. So um, again, if you have super big performance needs, probably not a good idea to use Ruby for those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. I, I just still, I, I really love the, the different optimizations that are coming in. You mentioned that you haven't done a lot with the typing. Um, we talked to Sotoro uh, Matsumoto, who's working on RBS, yeah. um, talked to a few other people about related things, um, trying to get the guy behind TypeProf, I can't remember his name, on the summit. Mame, Endosan. Yeah. So... Anyway, we're we're working on a lot of that, and and I've talked to people on on a lot of these different points, like how they work under the hood. We also had uh, Samuel Williams come on and talk about uh, mm -hmm. async and Falcon I and concurrency stuff. And so, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. It's so exciting just to see it all come yeah. out. That's the thing you you ask like people what the future of Ruby is, and then there's Ruby is so large that people have yeah dramatically different things of what they're thinking about even because mm -hmm. of, of how uh, how many different things that are going on in Ruby. I mean, we have people focusing just on the parser just people yeah. focusing just on the yeah. regular expression engine on uh, people focusing just on the virtual machine or a lot of people a lot of people focusing yeah. just on widget 
And then one of the big things I think is in, in 3.4, probably in 3.4, uh, even if it's not the default, will be the new parser, which is Prism. Right. I'm not sure if you've uh, talked to Kevin Newton about that, but uh, him and his team are working on that. So the, the goal will be to basically have Prism as the default parser right. uh, for all the Ruby implementations, uh, yep. I think is, is the long-term goal. It's not there yet. Um, the, the parser part is fine, but uh, taking Prism and making uh, bringing it into Ruby as the default parser requires you immigrate, um, jump change the compiler you're using. Mm -hmm. The Prism parser doesn't use the same format that the existing what's called parse.y parser uses. So they've been working extensively uh, on getting the Prism compiler to basically compile Ruby code the same way the existing parser does. Right. Uh, and that's very challenging because Ruby, uh, I think more than any other language, goes out of its way to be flexible in terms of uh, the parsing, which makes it extreme, makes a parser extremely complex, and uh, which also results in the compiler being very complex as well. Yeah. Um, to deal with all the different, uh, you know, things that can happen with parsing. Uh, a lot of this is just because things are, I would say, are, are not incredibly well factored internally, like often you're making the same change in multiple places, uh, a lot of it for performance reasons. Um, right. So like, you know, you try to, it's not like when you, when you call a method, it like splits up the path the method takes into like a large number of different paths, each separately optimized for performance, uh, which is good for performance, but <laughs> for maintenance makes things right. significantly more challenging. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've been uh, having some back and forth with Kevin. So yeah, super excited to see where that leads us. Um, as far as... You know, we've been talking kind of about Ruby and about some of the technical pieces of the, uh, you know, whether it's the parser or the VM or, you know, some of these things with uh, memory management and performance. Um, where do you see things going kind of in the broader world of Ruby, right? So now we're talking about like Rack, which I know you've contributed to or Rhoda or, you know building apps, you know, whether it's Rails or whether it's something else or yeah. online tools yeah. or who, what, whatever. Yeah, in terms of the future of Ruby, I think most people are still going to be using Rails. I mean, Rails is yeah. so popular. Uh, I mean, I don't use Rails, but I mean, so many other people do. Uh, it's, I don't expect that to change in the near future or in the far future, even. Right. Uh, but Rails will also be like most people's reason to use Ruby. Uh, right. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it brings a lot of people in. I started using Ruby because I was, uh, you know, originally doing like Python and PHP before I got into Ruby. And one right. of the things that got me into Ruby was Rails. So it's not like uh, Rails brings people into the Ruby community. Tons of people, a lot of people that are in Ruby uh, would not be in Ruby if it wasn't for Rails. So I think mm -hmm. Ruby itself owes Rails quite a bit just for bringing people in um, and right. broadening the community. So I, I think a lot of people, even if you don't use Rails, you benefit from the, the larger Ruby community that Rails brings in. Um, so I don't expect that to change. Uh, in terms of my libraries, um, like SQL, Rhoda, Rhodoth, uh, other mm -hmm. things like that, um, they get updated. I mean, SQL gets updated and Rhoda gets updated every month. So every month there's new features, right. uh, new things to try out. But there's not, I wouldn't say there's like huge changes on the horizon. Like uh, a lot of things that Rails adding are like, what sort of say, things you would think about sort of being external to the framework and they're sort of bringing mm -hmm. them in. Because uh, they, well, they want Rails to be like, you know, if you use right. Rails, you're using, you know, it used to be like uh, just the object relational mapper and mm -hmm. sort of the web framework part to build things. And they've been expanding it. I mean, yeah, in many years, I mean, you're talking about 
a built-in, uh, you know, document upload thing, active storage, and they've been bringing in like action mailbox, processing incoming emails. Now they have like solid queue and whole bunch of things they're adding that are sort of outside the core framework, but they're building around it. So again, the idea is if you run Rails, more people are running sort of the same thing. Uh, yeah. That's one of the things people like about Rails is like I've worked on one Rails app. Uh, I worked on you know everyone else's Rails app, which is not exactly true, but it is it is pretty true that you know Rails apps tend to be very similar. Mm -hmm. um, that's so one of the reasons that I don't even try to do that with Rota. Uh, Rota is basically like here's a minimal framework. Here's a whole bunch of plugins. Sort of build exactly what you need, which is definitely 100% right. not what Rails is. Rails is uh, what they call omakase, which is like you know this right. is how it is. Deal with it. Uh, wrote his <laughs> build exactly what you need, what's best for you. And yeah. that's, again, there's a double-edged sword. Sometimes if, if, if you're comfortable with that, it's great. It's exactly what you want. But certainly if you look at one Rota app and a different Rota app, uh, right. they're not necessarily going to be as similar as two Rails apps. Right. Uh, again, with a larger development team, you're hiring a bunch of other people that already know it. It's very helpful to have Rails for that. Uh, if that's not the situation you're in and you're comfortable building everything yourself, something like Rota makes a lot more sense. It's a lot simpler, a lot easier to understand. Right. Uh, there's less, I'd say, churn when upgrading, things like that. So it's a trade-off. And again, yep. for a lot of people, the trade-off that Rails makes is good. And that's that's great. I, I'm not one of the people like, I want to take over the world and everyone should use my software. Rota is very good for me. It's very good for what it does. A lot of people use it now, but it's never going to be as popular as Rails. And I'm completely comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then with SQL and Active Record, I think SQL is technically a lot better. Um, but Rail, but Active Record has been significantly improving in recent versions too. It's, I'd say, caught up a lot of the way from where it was, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's, I think, still, I still think SQL is better technically. There's right. a lot of problems that I think Active Record has that SQL solves still, but it's much closer now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Right. So, so uh, do you see any advancements coming in Ruby or changes in the community that are going to affect the direction you head in? Or do you think things like you said of Ruby are just going to kind of continue the way they're going? Certainly language is going to continue. One of the things I, I'm quite excited about myself is to see, like, certainly when COVID hit and um, the Ruby community in terms of, like, conferences, meetups, almost immediately shut down due to COVID. Yeah. That's not unique to Ruby. That's, I'd say, across the board for most places. Yeah, I, I am very excited to see, especially this year, just tons, uh, like it was in the late uh, 2010s, tons of Ruby conferences coming back. Uh, you know, like there's like 20 conferences already, you know, this year that are scheduled and there's probably going to be more, which is really exciting yep. uh, from a community basis. If you want to get involved or meet people in the community, it's going to be much easier now than it was like two or three years yep. ago, which is uh, something I'm, I'm excited about as well. Yeah, I had that conversation with Amanda Perino from the uh, Rails Foundation. Uh, she's the director of the foundation, and it, it's it was interesting just kind of kind of from that community standpoint, right? Just talking about some of the things that are coming back, maybe some of the hiccups or struggles with maybe having as many of the meetups and things that we used to have, but still we're seeing a lot of that get revived, and it's very exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about that. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you're working on, or? Things you see out there in the community at large that you're excited about, or uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I haven't had as much time to work on Ruby recently. I've had been much busier than I normally am. 
uh, and that probably continue this year and maybe early next year. So I probably won't be as involved as I was. Uh, I mean, I was also very busy last year, but right. uh, hopefully in a couple of years, I'll be able to get back more and, uh, you know, contributing more, more like I used to, uh, you know, from like 2019 and like 2022. Um, so I'm hoping to, to do that, but it's probably, I'm going to say a year, 18 months away before I can really get more involved. I still, I still going to be helping out, uh, you know, every month I'll probably be contributing stuff, but it won't be mm -hmm. the frequency that I would prefer it to be. At. Right. Cool. Well, um, we, we still have a few minutes. Do you want to talk about your book for a second? Let people know what it's about. Uh, sure. So uh, Polish Ruby programming, uh, it's different from most other Ruby books. It assumes you already know Ruby fairly well. And it sort of talks about trade-offs uh, to make um, when you're designing applications and libraries. Um, it's designed for intermediate Ruby programmers sort of to reach the next level. Uh, it, still, it still sells fairly well. I mean, certainly sales have dropped off since it was released, uh, I think, like two and a half years ago. Um, yep. It still sells decently. I get an email every week, your book sold this much. So... Uh, it's still doing well. Um, I'm happy about it. I'm not eager to write a follow-up anytime soon because <laughs> I think we talked about that right. doing the review yeah, thing. Yeah. Writing a book is this incredible amount of work. And I don't think I want to get involved in that. Uh, not anytime soon, at least. I don't not a year to get back in back in the saddle. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 happy uh, happy it's doing well and it's uh, still seems to be. I, I still see places where it's you not know, recommended for uh, you know the audience it's intended for, which is great. Cool. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and wrap us up then. Uh, thank you again for coming. Um, thank you for having me. All right. Well, until next time, folks. Max right. out.